G'day, this is Mark Pesci, and welcome to the third series of This Week in Startups Australia. We kick off series three with two big interviews. First, we'll speak to the hottest tech entrepreneur in Australia today, invoice to go founder Chris Strode. Chris found a problem, built a solution, and then built a company. It's a classic startup story. And then we'll talk to Sydney Seed Fund founder Benjamin Chong. He's seen a lot of early stage startups and has some strong opinions about the skills startup founders need to survive and thrive. That and lots more as we rocket into Series 3 of This Week in Startups Australia. This Week in Startups Australia is proud to announce our new Series 3 sponsors. Braintree, the easy all-in-one payment solution for your app or website. And Getworm, the place where startups and early adopters converge. Australia's startup tech community has managed to produce probably three unicorns in the years. You'd start with Atlassian and then Freelancer and probably also Campaign Monitor. Well, folks, there's going to be a fourth. And I have to tell you that I am sitting across from the gentleman who started that company. You've probably all heard of invoice to go We're going to hear a lot about it today from the founder, Chris Strode, who's joining us on This Week in Startups Australia. Welcome, Chris. Uh, thanks a lot for having me, Mark. No pressure, of course. Now, you don't have to be a billion-dollar company yet. We'll <laughs> let you grow into that. But let's just start off with how did it begin? There's this myth that you were trying to find a solution and it didn't exist, so you started a company. That sounds a little bit extreme. Most people don't do that when they find a hole in the market. So tell us the story. Uh well, the story goes a long way back. It's over 10 years ago when um, I started, I was working for a, uh, for a large investment bank and, um, and I was a freelance software developer there and I needed to send an invoice. That was the first thing that I had to do. And uh, so I went out and I looked out on the, I looked out on all the download sites, tried to find something that could help me create an invoice in a couple of minutes and get going. All of the incumbent software, all the incumbent accounting software, I just didn't want to try and wrap my head around it. I knew it was going to take me a couple of weeks. Because you'd have to get your head around the entire accounting package. I had to do this last year and it was just, it was horrible because Mm -hmm. I'm not an accountant. I don't think like this. And there's all this stuff that you, an accountant knows what to do, but I didn't. Mm, Yeah. I mean, just just the words debit and credit, that was like, I just started having flashbacks to, um, (laughs) you know, to my high school accounting. And I was just like, oh, this is, you know, this is not what I'm trying to achieve here. You know, I'm... I'm a software engineer, and I just want to focus on that. I also came. From, I also have like come from a big family. I've got um, brothers and sisters who are in business, and I knew that they had the same pain points too. You know, everyone was just wanting to you know do their work and actually and and get an invoice out as quickly as possible. Because as soon as you you know you can't get paid without actually sending an invoice. Mm. So, so and and cash flows everything to small business. Um, so. It, that's 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 exactly where the idea came from. Being able to create an invoice, well, actually download the app, create the invoice, and send it off all within a couple of minutes. That that that's the purpose of it. 
Okay, so that's, I mean, that's the idea. But there's there's this gap between, oh, well, I can see that there's a need for this. And, okay, I'm going to go into this. How did you, did you just leap across that gap? Did you even think about it? Did you go, oh, my God, this is the best idea ever and just focus on that? Uh, you know, I never, when I started out, I never thought I was going to employ one person. Uh, I thought I'd just be a one-man band forever. Mm-hmm. And I was quite okay with that. Uh, well, I was more than okay with it. <laughs> you know, it's quite a, it's, um, you know, it's a, it's a, it started off as a, just a lifestyle business, I guess. And um, so there was, so there was never really any pressure to jump into hyper growth or to get seed funding. It was just, okay, let's just, you know, let's enjoy building a product and, um, and take, and take the time to, you know, build something which, uh which I want to use. I was all, and and essentially, I had you know my key. Um, the people I had in mind were the people who I grew up with. I knew how technology had challenged them. I was the only mm-hmm. one who was a software engineer in the house who could even <laughs> right. who, who even knew how to sort of you know how to install a program on a computer, let alone uh, you know use the use it. So uh, so I knew what I was up against. And I guess having those people in mind the whole time, it was just like. Uh, you know, I'm not finished until I think it's ready for these guys. Okay, so how long did it take you to find, I mean, we'd call that product market fit and your market yeah. being people who are not technically savvy and are not accounting savvy, right? right. So you've got to tick at least both of those boxes. Yeah. How long did it take? How much iteration, how much testing did you have to do? Uh, it took about a year and a half to get that first product ready where I could. And, and, and I did do a lot of testing, but it's, you know, it's probably not... Um, what you you know we weren't going to the user testing.com wasn't around back then right. you couldn't just go out to that it was just more you know you'd give it to people you know they'd tell you that it sucked hey and then this this is not good <laughs> yeah and then and what it was missing and then you'd go back and you'd do it and um, but you know at the same time like it was just it was constant like you know you can't it wasn't like I was doing this in my spare time I was doing it in every spare second that I had. So were you working full time while this was going was on work- too? I was working full time at the same time, but you know, I, was, I still managed to find fifty or sixty hours a week to do this in my spare time. Right, ex- yeah, exactly. <laughs> in the spare time that you had, okay. Was the product a success from day one? Did you go, oh dear, this is bigger than I thought it was going to be? Did you have when did you have that moment? Uh, you know, the the day I released the app, I knew. Instantly, I was onto something um, because I'd had I'd done an, I'd done one out previously, so I knew exactly what failure looked like. Mm-hmm. And failure was just like, you know, what just, does failure look like, Chris? What does failure look like? What what did what did it look like? Just no one downloaded the just, app. You just don't get any downloads, yeah. and you know, and you don't, but and even worse, you don't even get anyone telling you it sucks because <laughs> it's so bad. They're just not even going to bother. Yeah, it's just like you know, no one's interested in that yeah. in the space. You know, no one was interested in the space on the first phone. It's like you know, you have to pick, you know. If you have to pick something, you know, it's hard to go big in a niche. You know, you have to pick something that'll you're solving the problem for a lot of people, right. unless you're building enterprise software. Now, is this 2010 we're talking about when it was released? Uh, yeah, f- this is for no. This is actually even further back. This was back when it was just a desktop application. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I started as a desktop application, and um, so yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's like tw- it's 2005. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When when we and so released it on the first day, got a lot of downloads and actually made a couple of sales and I was like, wow, 
if I can make sales on the first day, um, that's, uh, yeah, like I said, you know, once you know what failure looks like, you know, <laughs> you know what, you know, you know what the opposite is. All right. So you have the product in release, you're getting feedback, you're getting a few sales. At some point you must get the feeling that it's starting to snowball. How did you know when that was happening? Uh, I, you know, it, it starts so small and you've got to think of it this way. You know, uh, it starts with, you know, you consistently get in one sale a day uh, and then you consistently get in two sales a day. Mm. And then you consistently, and it just goes up to 10, you know, 20, 30, 100. And you know. are you doing marketing at this point or is this just word of mouth? Uh, all word of mouth. Yeah, yeah. All word of mouth. So we we really didn't start marketing until after, until our post um yeah, post-investment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Because you didn't really have the resources. Didn't have the resources and didn't know how, didn't, like, you know, I, I like, it takes one to know one. I could hire great engineers, mm. um, but, you know, I didn't know what a good marketing person looked like. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, yeah. Okay, so you now you have this, I guess, gradual ticking up, ticking up, ticking up. How soon do you realize that it's not just a one-man band, that this isn't just a lifestyle business for you, but this is actually a bigger business and you're going to have to start staffing up? Right. Uh, that was when mobile came out. So I, I created the first version of the uh, iPhone uh, app for it. So we went, we had a desktop version mm-hmm. and then created the iPhone version. And then it was like, oh, there's no way I can maintain all the requests I'm getting as well as, you know, for feature requests, as well as do support. Um, and the iPad version came out. So I said, we need to get an iPad version going. So hired someone from, you know, for the iPad. So that was four years ago, hired someone. And, you know, we've pretty much gone from one person to, you know, over a hundred now in, in, in four years. Mm. So it, as soon as you hire someone, you know, just, you start realizing that, um, you've got to make payroll. (laughs) You do. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah, you can't, can't surf every day from that point, you know, from from, from that moment forth. <laughs> well, I detect a note of bitterness in that. <laughs> and, uh, well, yeah. you can, but, you know, it sets a really bad example, right, for everyone else in the office. So that's right. That's the problem. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, well, yeah, that's right. You know, you've got to start leading. And, um, and but, you know, I think a lot of people don't know if they're going to be decent leaders or not, you know, at that time. And I definitely didn't know what, I, you know, if, if I had the leadership to be able to do it and... Um, and but you know it turns out that you know that uh that we sort of all the people who we hired we just we we just all gelled together and um and it was just easy to work with everyone did it take you a long time to find these people or were they attracted naturally (laughs) um well you know our, our first you know 10 hires were all just graduates and, um, so fresh out of school, fresh out of you know. Just, so you were able to mold them. Yeah, fresh out of com science, and you know it was just like you know got to be in com science, got to have um, you know had kick you know really good results, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and then and the way that the the way that I found them was not from necessarily results, but from the hobby projects that they were doing. It was like what hobby projects were you working on? What were you doing when that you weren't getting paid for that you that wasn't you know that people so you were asking them where their hearts were really exactly and and we judged all our first 10 engineer hires just on on what they were doing in their own spare time and i think that paid off you're listening to this week in startups australia we'll be right back (laughs) 
Hi, this is Mark Pesci, and I'd like to say a few words about our new Twista Series 3 sponsors, Braintree, code for easy online payments. Developers around the world have used Braintree's V.0 SDK as a simple way to accept PayPal, credit cards, debit cards, and whatever payment systems next. With a single scalable integration, you get robust fraud protection on over 130 currencies around the world, making your global expansion a snap. Using Braintree is as easy as integrating a few lines of code, but don't take their word for it. Try out the sandbox and see for yourself at braintreepayments.com slash twista. And we're back talking to Chris Strode, the founder of Invoice2Go. So Chris, you've now got engineers on board. You're growing. You are making a decision now about how fast you're going to grow and what kind of resources you're going to need to grow. So you have to start thinking about now investment. So how many investment rounds has Invoice2Go had over the years? Uh, so we've had two investment rounds and both have been in the last 18 months. So I know about the 30, $35 million round. Yes. What other round was there? Uh, okay, so the $35 million was essentially a combination of two rounds. It was, um, we sort of put an A and B so close together. Oh, did, all right. Did, uh, but it got reported as a $35 million round. So how did it actually break up the A and the B? Right. Um, it broke up to a uh, to a 20 and a 15. Oh, okay. So two yeah. really large rounds. Okay. Yes. So this then- And both, yeah, within three months of each other. Did yeah. you even, did you get any of that money from Australia? No. Okay, and this is what I thought the answer was going to be. Did you even think about trying to raise that money in Australia? Uh, you know, I didn't. Uh. <laughs> okay, next question. Why didn't you think about raising that money in Australia? That's, that's, a, that's, that's a really good point, Mark. Um, you know, I think I'm not that, surprised, but I want yeah. to hear your own reason. You, you know, know we, we were profitable. Money was not. Uh, and, you know, the $35 million was not something that I could figure out how to spend on my own. You know what I mean? Like, we were already a profitable company. Yeah, but if you have $35 million, you'll be able to hire people who will be able to spend the $35 million and I realized that very quickly. <laughs> That right. They, that you know the guys that you hired, you know, you know, or um, so for us it was like we needed to bring on people who had been there, done that, right. and uh, and that was the most important thing. You know, the the investment was more about the investors than the actual investment. So it was giving them skin in the game, so that that you would get their advice and their help. Exactly, and you know, and they've been, and you know, and we work with them, you know. I'm speaking. I'm speaking with them all the time. You know, weekly, mm -hmm. daily. I see them more than I see my parents, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I mean that in a great way. Like you know, I've I've spoken to other people who have taken money from you know from investors who uh, you know who've just been so passive. They've never got anything right. out of them. They're passive and they've got experience, but they've just never. They haven't had the time to give them. Right. And I think that's a real pitfall. But to bring this back again, because we sort of danced around it, you didn't even really take a look around Australia for either the 15 or the $20 million round? Or what? Oh, I don't, like, yeah, I, I, I saw, I, I had maybe, uh, yeah, I had maybe one or two chats, mm -hmm. um, but it wasn't, um, it never got to like how big, you know, we never spoke, it never really went beyond that. It was just, there just seemed to be a different sense of, um, of even a different, 
the guys over there understood what we were trying to do mm-hmm. and um and saw and 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 really saw the and saw the opportunity mm. and uh well i'm i'm also not sure if there are any cases of a 35 million dollar raise happening inside of australia through normal venture capital i think it's just a scale that venture capital in australia is unfamiliar with working with so if you yeah. came to them and said this is what we need they'd they'd probably just sort of glaze over while they tried to figure out how to make that happen i don't know <laughs> if that's what happened uh, oh, well, we weren't, we were, uh, yeah, never got that far, but I'd say, yeah, some of the funds, you know, some of the funds aren't even quite that big. No, that's, yeah, that, yeah exactly. And, they, you know, a big raise, like the Ingogo raise or uh, Go Catch or whatever, these are four or five million dollar raises. They're not a $35 million raise. Yeah. Okay. So you did this, you did the A and the B. And you did this because you said, okay, we can take this money and we can use it to go to the next level. Correct. All right. Now, in that transition is when you decided to step aside as CEO. Is that correct? That is correct. So I looked at the investment as two things, um, as getting a lot of experience and also helping find someone who could help run the company who had been there, done that, so I could just focus on product. And what's your title now? So I'm the chief product officer. Oh, CPO, okay, all right. Yeah, yeah, CPO. All right, well, that's interesting because we started off series two with uh, Cameron Adams, who's the chief product officer over at, at Canva, and it's, it's a right. very similar thing where, you know, it's you have a, a unique talent, and that's exactly in the organization where your talent should be deployed. Yeah. But... We always see the classic case of the entrepreneur who doesn't want to step away from the wheelchair, yeah, and and is is carried out of the CEO's chair <laughs> in a box because they've managed to hold on so long that they wreck the company. And you seem to have avoided that mistake. Share your wisdom with us about how you made that decision. Uh, I think you know I'd go. I'd been running the company. Um, and we had such a flat structure. It was me and, you know, maybe 30 people below myself. Mm -hmm. There was literally no, there was no middle management. So I'd gotten to the point where, you know, decision fatigue sets in. um, Right. And it's like, you know, I've made, you know, I can't, (laughs) I'm a bit over making, you know, just constant decisions. And, and, and um, it, it wasn't, even until you know, I'd been working with our CEO Greg Waldorf, who's who was um, who's who you know who was a CEO of eHarmony and all. Yeah, has a, an amazing yeah, track record. Yeah, great track record. It took me six months to realise what a proper CEO does and how they actually work, and it was only after working with him for six months that I gave myself a pat on the back and thought, "Gee, that was a great decision." <laughs> <laughs> um, you know that, that you know that we did it because we worked we worked well from day one and we've worked and we've continued to work well together. I mean, you know, it helps if you know if everyone's got a sense of humour. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So it was just you know there was a match. You know, everyone you know we try to keep a sense of humour in the company, and uh, Greg's got a good sense of humour. That was that was sort of the one thing that I was looking for to mm-hmm. start with. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah, but once you realise what. You know, once you realise what a CEO is, you find that most founders aren't really truly CEOs. Oh, I I would believe that's almost <laughs> universally true. The qualities of a startup founder are not the same qualities of a person who is well suited to running 
managing a large organization. They're not the same qualities They're at all. Not the same, and that and that's the same. Like I don't think that most and these CEOs wouldn't be able to be startup founders yeah. either. Yeah, yeah, no, no, absolutely. Yeah. It's a different. It's a different set of skills. It's a different yeah. set of skills. Yeah, yeah. But you were wise enough to recognize that there are different sets of skills as opposed to everyone telling you, mate, you've got to step down because you're holding the company back. Yeah, yeah. And and without a doubt, if I would tried to do that, um, yeah, I would have held it back for sure. Even moving forward now, you have to, you know, um, you know, even still having a founder CPO hat, you still have a lot of responsibility and, mm. you know, and, and you've still got the, uh, and you've still got some, you know, a lot of clout too. So, you know, you've got to be careful, you know, not to hold back to, you know, to let people run even at this stage. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, that's going to be the balancing act for you is yeah. that you're at the right place in the organization, but you're right, you're still a power center. Yeah. And so there's always going to be that tension there. Okay. So now that you've talked about going forward, so what is the plan here? You know, how much can you tell me about where do you guys want to be in five years from now? Yeah. Uh, well, we just see that, um, the like everything, uh, you know, there's disruption is happening. Mm-hmm. I think that, uh, you know, it's easy to see that, you know, all the big companies these days, you know, whether it be, you know, taxi companies or or hotel companies or accommodation companies, they're all they're all essentially just they're tech companies, you know. Uh, Software is eating the world. It is, and and it and it's just it's just going to continue to happen. It, it's not going to stop until it's fully devoured it, and um, and there's just so much opportunity at every at every level to. But, you know, the only thing stopping you is from executing well, I think. So, you know, our, our job is, is to, um, you know, focus on the space that we've, that we've chosen uh, and, you know, to have laser-like focus. And, um, and with 100 million small businesses worldwide, it's, um, we want to make sure that every one of those small businesses when they're... Is using your software. <laughs> or at least, you know, or at least, yeah, or at least that, you know, when they're making the decision about how they want to invoice that, you know, they've mm-hmm. got to choose between invoice to go and, and another, another make another, cho- make that choice. Yeah. Right. So, well, hey, a hundred million customers, that's not a bad user base. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, thank you very much for being the first guest on series three of This Week in Startups Australia. Thanks a lot for having me, Mark. Hi, this is Mark Pesci. And in case you haven't paid it a visit, it's probably a nice idea to drop by our Tumblr. We have lots of photos from behind the scenes. We actually have the SoundCloud files for the podcast. We have links to our sponsors and links to the companies for our guests. It's all up there at twistartupsaus.tumblr.com. So please check it out. Have a look. Have a play. Share what you find at twistartupsaus.tumblr.com. Probably the most interesting part in a startup's life cycle is the seed stage. You kind of have the idea going, but at that point, it's really about making it work as a viable business. And this, of course, is where there's a spot in the ecosystem for investors who take an enormous amount of risk on 
to breathe some life into what are basically little more than ideas with a few crazy founders behind them. And one of those investors is sitting next to me, Benjamin Chong, who's one of the founders of the Sydney Seed Fund, started in 2013 and now aggressively out there and helping the startup ecosystem take off in Australia. Benjamin, welcome to This Week in Startups Australia. Thank you so much for having me, Mark. So, what is it that possessed you to do something that is so inherently risky as seed stage investing? That's a great question. I've been really fortunate over the last nearly 20 years being a startup founder. I've had the good fortune of starting businesses, building businesses, selling them, and even buying a few. Mm. Not all have been successful, mind you, but mm-hmm. I've had a couple of wins along the way. And what I realized, getting that support from an investor at a seed stage is so important because in some of my early businesses, I remember limping along having this kind of this bootstrap mentality when I knew that if I had a little bit of funding, I'd be able to prove some of my experiments. I'd be able to prove the business model far quicker than if I were to do it alone. So for me, as a founder, it's the passion that I have in wanting to see early stage Founders, entrepreneurs succeed. So, I mean, how, how, I mean, did you just sort of raise your hand and say, okay, look, at, I'm raising a fund for this and a whole bunch of people piled in because they're just as risk hungry as you? Or did you have to sell people on this? Well, what happened is I had a conversation with two of my business partners now in the Sydney Seed Fund, Gary Vasante, who's been a serial entrepreneur and also an avid early stage investor and another business partner called Ari Klinger. And we've been business partners in a range of businesses for, for a number of years. And we thought... There seems to be a gap in the market, mm. and like any entrepreneur, we did some searching and we did some research and realised that there weren't many people who could make decisions, particularly from the perspective of a founder right. as well as an investor, because we've bought businesses before, really quickly, decisions really quickly. So we said, let's put something together. We'll call it the Sydney Seed Fund. We put our own money into it, and then we realised that there were friends of ours, mm. people that we knew, who had said, oh, this whole tech scene seems to be growing. It's burgeoning. I want a p- piece of it. And what better way for me to get a piece of it, because I know it's risky, by having a portfolio, a diversified portfolio. And that was, if you like, the genesis of the, the document that we put together. And, and were these folks particularly tech savvy or were they willing to trust your capacity there? In our fund, we have a range of investors. We have some who are tech people, people who have built tech businesses and some are running them. Others have sold out of them, very fortunately for them. We've also got people who know that tech is the next big thing and that they want to get a closer look at the companies that might be changing their industry or industries that they're interested in. So we've got a range of investors. I'd say it's 50-50. So for some of these people, they're, uh, the way they buy the seat at the table is by investing, and that seat at the table gives them then a better sense of what's coming down the pike. For sure. So what we do is we host dinners every couple of months where we bring our founders together with investors. And of course, you'll have investors asking all sorts of questions. But what has been really cool, Mark, is that as some of our companies have either gone on to raise later rounds of capital or even have raised a seed round that is slightly larger than what we've initially provided, our investors have come in 
and they've either doubled down at the early stage ah. or doubled down at the later stage. And for me, that gives me a great sense of validation that we're on a really positive journey. Now, when you, and I remember when the big email went out and you said, hi, we're here and we're open for business, mm-hmm. were you deluged with business plans at that point? Yes. We've been really fortunate and we've we, we've had so many people send us business plans. As you can imagine, there's been a range of business plans yeah. or requests for, for, for meetings. Some have been absolutely fantastic. Others, well, let's say that yeah, I come up with ideas all day long. Right. <laughs> right. But just some of them are, are, I guess, less less mature. So you've made, is it seven investments Yes, we've, made, we've announced seven investments. We're, we're hopeful that we'll be able to announce a few more shortly. All right. And that means that, so if you've been going for two years, you're making four-ish placements a year. That's right. right. Now, which is not, you know, that's once a quarter. That's right. That's not incredibly bad. What's the average range of the placements that you're talking so about? So we have told folks that we're investing between fifty dollars and $150,000 per round that we participate in. The average has been, I think, a little north of $100,000. Okay. And in terms of that run rate, yes, we're really eager to place more. Yeah, which, well, and that's exactly what a seed stage is, mm. is all about, right? It's, mm. it's playing small. So what does it take to get through the hoops to become one of the eight? What are, and I want to really get a little stuck into this, what mm. are the qualities that make your spidey sense tingle when you're looking at what a seed stage startup should be for an investment candidate? Great question. We look at three things. The first thing we look at is, is there a team? And within the team, we like for there, again, to have another three components. We we, we like for there to be someone who has got technical nows, someone who has business nows, Mm. and it's also ideal if there's someone who has some domain expertise. So usually that's found in two people. Mm. Sometimes it's three. It's very rare for that to be found in one individual. It's a very special individual who has all three. So that's the first thing. And, and if it is one person, that person's exceptionally busy because they're running the technical end and the business end and... Absolutely. And that, that's, it's, it's simply, in a sense, very hard for that person. Very difficult, like multitasking yeah. to the max. Yeah. So we're looking for people who have had experiences that are interesting, that are relevant, and, of course, who are hungry mm. to, 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 to make this startup thing a success. That's the first thing. The second thing we're looking at are for people who are chasing big markets. Right. Australia is a wonderful place. We have 23, maybe 24 million people here. It's wonderful. The the climate is great. The people are friendly. But as a market itself, it's not large enough, especially when you're targeting a segment of the 24 million people. If you're targeting just males or just females, you can halve that. If you're targeting small businesses, you can probably times it by 0.1 or less. So we're liking people who are chasing global markets. Mm -hmm whether it's, say, English-speaking markets or markets to our north. We're really fortunate in Australia. A very large percentage, I think, something like 60-something percent of the world's internet population is plus-minus four hours to our time zone. Well, I was just in Perth, and they were crowing about the fact that there's a billion people in their time zone. Yeah. (laughs) 
It's remarkable, right? And if we have a look at the the growing the growing GDP per capita of people to our north, mm. it's it's I think opportunities for for Australians. So we're looking for people who are who are who are seeking big markets. And of course, the third thing we're we're, we're wanting to see some form of traction come real solution to a problem type All right, thing. All but, but a seed and traction high. Okay. I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked <laughs> because I'm not after revenue. Yeah. Don't need revenue. So what I what I talk about at a seed stage from a from a traction perspective is is it a shoe that fits? Okay. Has have have there been, I guess, enough use cases or examples of having spoken to potential customers mm. that this is a real problem or this is a solution or what we're doing is significantly better than the existing the existing products that people are buying so that's why i use that that that, that traction very loosely and perhaps a little bit flexibly not so much in terms of oh do you have a lot of users right. is 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 your is your time on site per user growing is there revenue no it's not that but it's like have you have you got something have you got the beginnings have you got the glint of something that could be a real a real Solution that many people or businesses would want to buy. You're listening to This Week in Startups Australia. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Mark Pesci. And just a few words of introduction around our new Twister sponsor, GetWarm. GetWarm is this amazing thing that allows startups to attract early adopters before they reach out to a much larger crowd. GetWorm is the place where startups and early adopters converge. It's a place and a platform where startups can incentivize early adoption through creating perks. They can give rewards for being part of the all-important first group of users. And so if you've recently launched a startup or are thinking about launching a startup soon, sign up as a startup on GetWorm and gain access to a growing base of early adopters from all over the globe. The early bird gets the worm at GetWorm.com. And we're back talking to Sydney Seed Fund founder, Benjamin Chong. All right. So one of your portfolio companies is a company that we like a lot on this show, Go Far. Uh, Danny and Ian have both sat where you're sitting and have talked to me about what they're doing. What made them, as a classic sort of investment for you guys, a real fit? Hmm. I was really fortunate to get to know Danny. I was able to get to know Danny very early on. He mm. was a founder as part of the Founder Institute program that I have the privilege of helping look after in Sydney. So I'd seen him very early on. Now, what impressed me greatly with Danny is that he is actually a rocket engineer. So right. he'd been working on this problem at night as he was employed during the day for a couple of years. So that showed to me he was determined. Mm -hmm. He was dogged. He would not let go of this problem. And yet he had a level of flexibility when I saw him with the founders at, sorry, with the mentors at the Founder Institute who were giving him feedback. Mm -hmm. He had this, this flexibility to take on their feedback mm -hmm. and to make adjustments and to experiment. So he wasn't rigid. Exactly. He had this openness and this, this curiosity to go, 
maybe that's a solution or maybe I could I could approach things this way. Mm. So I could see that he was very open to suggestions, but at the same time he was he was dogged that what he had would be valuable to a bunch of people. Mm. The second thing is that I really liked his vision. His vision not only of wanting to to, to help car owners possibly save fuel, but for it to be a, a greater thing for the environment. Mm. And then I think the third thing was he used his passion, his energy, his drive, his determination to gather a team around him. He brought on a co-founder, Ian, and when we saw the calibre mm. of the other team members, mm-hmm. it was this is contagious. Mm. We have to get involved in this. And, of course, they've recently had their Kickstarter yep. campaign come We talked to them right out, right the day yeah. after they finished. Oh, that's that's great. So I, I, I speak with them regularly. Yeah. So, all right, you get a bunch of companies, you give them seed capital, you watch them make their way with it. Some of them are going to do very well. Some of them are not. One of the areas that Australia's startup ecosystem seems to not be really good at is getting companies from seed into that thing that exists before Series A, right? We don't, you know, you call it angel, whatever you want to call it, but it's that that gap there. Because $100,000 is one thing and $2 million is something else altogether. And in between is this shadow and companies do fall into this shadow. Mm. What do you think we should be doing about that? I think the companies that do receive seed capital and even the companies that don't receive seed capital should set for themselves really specific experiments, experiments that they're going to perform that are relatively low risk, Mm -hmm. that don't cost a huge amount of money. They take these small bets and if they're able to show and demonstrate that some of these small bets actually come off... And then can double down on those bets, make those bets a little bit larger. I think that there is definitely appetite from investors to perhaps put in half a million dollars right, or eight hundred thousand dollars. So it sounds like part of the strategy for a seed stage startup hmm. is is there's a lean, there's a set of lean experiments That's going right. on there, right? And so they they may be pursuing a goal, but while they're pursuing that goal, they actually have to have a whole range of experiments because they're exploring not just product market fit, but a, a whole bunch of, I guess, different product market fits going exactly. on. Exactly. It's product market fit. It's exploring perhaps some of the marketing channels, the, yeah. the, the channels by which their, their customers may be attracted. It's also exploring, well, what are we doing for onboarding, particularly if it's a software-type product? So yeah. it's a whole range of experiments. And I think you're right. The, the the important thing as a startup founder is to keep the vision big. Mm. Like there is this tension of keeping the vision big because that is the exciting thing. That is what gets your, your, your staff up and your team in the morning. Yeah. That motivates them. It also is, is what makes the investors very excited. But at the same time, every day working out, well, these are the experiments that I need to try. This week, these are the three or four things that I need to figure out. That's also, I think, in a way, uh, an extremely um, delicate road to walk because you are trying, I think, in a startup to handle the day-to-day and get the day-to-day execution right, particularly if 
in an environment where there are new people being thrown together who haven't worked out these processes, and yet they still have to have all these experiments and they have to have the vision. What qualities do you look at for the team that allow them to be able to walk that path? I'd say we're after people who have a level of emotional stability. <laughs> you get thrown a lot of stuff as yeah. a startup founder and if someone says no to you or if a few people say no to you in one day, you've still got to go on and not have that affect you yeah. at least too much. I think that's one thing. I think also a level of openness, openness to new ideas and ways of thinking. So again, it's one of those tensions of having a big picture, a big vision, a desire to change a particular part of the world, and yet being open enough to go, hmm, I've never thought of it that way. Or that's an interesting perspective. So I think being able to hold those things together, and of course, there's that resilience, being able mm. to, 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 to pick yourself up after things have not gone well, and the resilience to just keep on going. Yeah. Because my experience even even when I'm, say, talking to investors, it can be a bit of a grind. But I do know that if I keep grinding it out, there is something beyond that immediate project. All right. Where do you see Sydney Seed Fund sort of growing in the Australian startup mm. ecosystem? What are, you, what are you trying? What is your vision? What is your goal? Our goal is to back the next generation of Australian startups that will go global. Mm -hmm. So we have a big vision. Our investors have backed So the backed next freelancer, the next Atlassian, the next Absolutely. invoice to go. Absolutely. And any, any of those companies that are in need of seed funding. And of course, what we provide is not just funding. Of course, Dollars and cents, very important. Yeah. Check in the bank, yeah, very important. Money is money, right? Advice is often worth more than all of the money in the world. We're so fortunate at the Sydney Seed Fund. We've got four international advisors. Mm. We have one who's based in Singapore, Jeffrey Payne, who's a partner at Golden Gate Ventures. We have Fadi Bashara, who's based in Silicon Valley. Adaya Resi, mm. one of our good friends, also based in Silicon Valley. And we have David Seema, who is one of the partners at Wavemaker Labs. Mm -hmm and also SEMA and Associates. So we're really fortunate to have these folks who help us when it comes to market entry right. for any of the startups we invest in. They help us in feeding some of the trends and ideas on what's happening in the ground in their countries that we share with our founders. We also have our own investors who not only have a vested interest in the financial aspects of the companies, they are interested to get close mm. to them and help open doors. So we've been fortunate to have had that occur a number of times already where some of our investee companies have wanted to get access to an executive at a particular organisation. We've found out one of our investors actually used to work at that organisation and have been able to open doors. And then I think the, the, the other thing is that we spend time, Gary, Ari and I have all operated businesses before, we spend time with founders. And sometimes it's as simple as an encouraging phone call. Mm. Other times it'll be providing feedback on the term sheet for their next round. Right. Okay. Last question. Going to be a lot of people listening to this podcast who will be thinking about 
getting seed money for their startup. What if you could give sort of the top two or three things that they should be keeping in mind, whether they're approaching you or someone else, what should they be thinking about? I'd say keep in mind a big vision, Mm -hmm. a big vision, because as investors, we're hoping that you could be a billion-dollar company, and a billion-dollar company means you need to have a lot of customers. I think the second thing is that it's okay to start small because everything has to start out with something that grows Mm. into something much larger. So it's okay to start small. And then I think the third thing is to work out what your secret source is. Work out what it is that will make you distinctive, whether now or into the future, and invest time and effort into that. Because that, I think, is ultimately what will help set you apart. Benjamin Chong, thank you very much for being on This Week in Startups Australia. Thank you, Mark. Every startup starts small. But just because they start small doesn't mean they can't dream big. Chris Strode knew every tradie and every small business person everywhere would be able to benefit from an easy-to-use invoicing system, so he coded his way to a solution. And he coded his way into one of Australia's most successful startups. Benjamin Chong and Sydney Seed Fund are looking for entrepreneurs with that kind of vision and with Chris's ability to execute. But I'll tell you, I think we've seen a bit more from Chris Strode. We've seen the wisdom to know when it's time to step away. That's something you don't see in every entrepreneur, and it's likely one big reason invoice to go will continue to grow into Australia's next unicorn. Big thanks to our new sponsors, Braintree and Getworm. Their support is making this podcast possible. Thanks to Felix Warmoth and AnalogCabin.net for his hard work creating a podcast that is always a joy to listen to. More thanks to Chris Strode and Benjamin Chong for making the time to come and be on this show. We'll be back in a fortnight with a special report on the startup scene in the most remote city on earth. Until then, this is Mark Pesci thanking you for listening to This Week in Startups Australia.